gone out. The signora, though she had given me a key, sighed with relief when she heard me come in and bolt the door, for she was always afraid I should forget to do this, and I returned to my perusal of the history of the Guelphs and Ghibellines. I was bitterly conscious that not thus behaved the writers of the Romantic era, though I doubt whether any of them managed to spend six weeks in Italy on twenty pounds, and I much enjoyed my sober and industrious life. I had already read the Inferno, with the help of a translation, but conscientiously looking out in a dictionary the words I did not know. So, with Erzelia, started on the Purgatorio. When we came to the passage I have quoted above, she told me that Pia was a gentlewoman of Siena, whose husband, suspecting her of adultery, and afraid on account of her family to put her to death, took her down to his castle in the Maremma, the noxious vapours of which he was confident would do the trick. But she took so long to die that he grew impatient and had her thrown out of the window. I do not know where Ercilia learnt all this. The note in my own Dante was less circumstantial, but the story for some reason caught my imagination. I turned it over in my mind, and for many years from time to time would brood over it for two or three days. I used to repeat to myself the line, Siena mi fe, disfece mi maremma. But it was one among many subjects that occupied my fancy, and for long periods I forgot it. Of course I saw it as a modern story, and I could not think of a setting in the world of today in which such events might plausibly happen. It was not till I made a long journey in China that I found this. I think this is the only novel I have written in which I started from a story rather than from a character. It is difficult to explain the relation between character and plot. You cannot very well think of a character in the void. The moment you think of him, you think of him in some situation, doing something, so that the character, and at least his principal action, seem to be the result of a simultaneous act of the imagination. But in this case the characters were chosen to fit the story I gradually evolved. They were constructed from persons I had long known in different circumstances. I had with this book some of the difficulties that are apt to befall an author— I had originally called my hero and heroine Lane, a common enough name, but it appeared that there were people of that name in Hong Kong. They brought an action, which the proprietors of the magazine in which my novel was serialized settled for £250, and I changed the name to Fane. Then the assistant colonial secretary, thinking himself libeled, threatened to institute proceedings. I was surprised since in England we can put a prime minister on the stage or use him as a character of a novel, an archbishop of Canterbury or a lord chancellor, and the tenants of these exalted offices do not turn a hair. It seemed to me strange that the temporary occupant of so insignificant a post should think himself aimed at, but in order to save trouble I changed Hong Kong to an imaginary colony of Ching Yen. Note, Ching Yen has now been replaced by Hong Kong. End note. The book had already been published when the incident arose and was recalled. A certain number of astute reviewers who had received it did not on one pretext and another return their copies. These have now acquired a bibliographical value. I think there are about sixty of them in existence, and are bought by collectors at a high price. 1. She gave a startled cry. "'What's the matter?' he asked. Notwithstanding the darkness of the shuttered room, he saw her face on a sudden distraught with terror. Someone just tried the door, 
Well, perhaps it was the armor, or one of the boys. They never come at this time. They know I always sleep after tiffin. Who else could it be? Walter, she whispered, her lips trembling. She pointed to his shoes. He tried to put them on, but his nervousness, for her alarm was affecting him, made him clumsy, and besides, they were on the tight side. With a faint gasp of impatience, she gave him a shoehorn. She slipped into a kimono, and in her bare feet went over to her dressing table. Her hair was shingled, and with a comb she had repaired its disorder before he had laced his second shoe. She handed him his coat. How shall I get out? You'd better wait a bit. I'll look out and see that it's all right. It can't possibly be Walter. He doesn't leave the laboratory till five. Who is it, then? They spoke in whispers now. She was quaking.